You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. And last week, Pastor Martin kicked us off in this series looking at how we are designed for community, looking at Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Firstly, stating that God for himself is community. The God that we worship, the God that we serve. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is himself community. But actually, in Genesis, we also read that God himself also created man. And from man, created woman. And therefore, we see the first community that we see on earth. See, God is community, but he created community. And then we also saw how community was distorted by the fall resulting in blame, shame, and rank, some powerful words there. But however, through Christ, we understand that we have now been redeemed for community, that Christ has redeemed us for community. And that's the title of my message today, is Redeemed for Community. You see, when we look at being redeemed or redemption, we start to understand that the cross, as we've sang today, it is finished. The cross changes everything. It changes absolutely everything. Colossians 1 verses 13 to 14 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Some great words there. You see, redemption it is about forgiveness. And it's amazing. Yes, our debt has been paid. But redemption is also the transferring of us God's people from something into something. We move from a place of darkness. He's rescued us from a dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. Therefore, we now walk together in a kingdom of light. And therefore, what that means for us as a community, we then, the way we relate to each other is one of light. We show light to each other, we walk in the light, and we are the children of the light. You see, in Christ, there is no shame, there is no blame or rank. See, under Adam, community was deformed, but in Christ, it has now been transformed. In Christ, we are on a journey of living in redemption, meaning that the way we relate to God has changed. Yes, vertically, we know we are reconciled to God, but then also horizontally, if I can put it that way, like the cross is vertical and horizontal, we are relate to each other and that changes as well. The cross is powerful, church, isn't it? It changes everything. And the New Testament gives us a blueprint of what this community looks like, I believe. Now, if you have a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to read some verses in there. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. To give a bit of a context, Jesus has ascended to the Father after his death, after going to the cross. But then he has been resurrected and he's ascended to the Father. And now the Holy Spirit has been poured out. It's been poured out on all people. And here we see the immediate impact that this has on these first early believers in the church. And we see the way that they do life together. I'm going to read from verse 42, and it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And this is the word of the Lord. And we can say thanks be to God. Now I'm sure some of us are very familiar with with this passage. And it's a great picture of what the early church was like. We see here a great outworking of community. Now the word love is not mentioned once in that passage. But we can see, we can sense, this was a loving community. They loved each other. It says in verse 42 that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. See, the Greek word, this beautiful Greek word, and I'm going to keep coming back to it every now and again. This word is called koinonia which means togetherness or a brotherhood. This community was together. They were devoted to each other. This redeemed, spirit-filled community was active in love. This is what we have. You know, we can all say, oh, we love one another. We can all say, I love you. I think you're great. I love you. But actually, this command from Jesus, what he says in John 13, a new command I give you, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. You see, it's an active word. It's something that can't be done just through necessarily just through words, but there is like an activation of this, and it's active in community. It's actually very challenging as well as being inspiring. And we have to choose, church, a disposition towards each other that says we're going to show grace and we're going to show love. Amen? Yeah. And I feel that this blueprint should challenge us today to look at the way that we do relate to each other in church. And today I'm going to focus on four areas that I believe should help us in this journey about working this command to to love one another in the context of being redeemed for community. And the first thing I want to share with you is this. We are a community that shows forgiveness. We show forgiveness. As I stated earlier, we have come to understand that the cross has changed everything. Yes, we have been forgiven of our sins. And that is amazing. But also, in the way that we outwork that between our brothers and sisters in church is that we also extend forgiveness to others. We have to forgive other people. That's our response to what God has also done for us. It was easy to love when everything's going really well, isn't it? when you're all getting on, when you're all singing and dancing together. But what about those moments when you feel betrayed? What about those moments when you feel like someone has wronged you? See, to love each other is difficult in those circumstances. But we have to choose, church, forgiveness. It is part, it is the center of what God's heart is. God wants to forgive his people. He forgave his people so much that he gave his only son. And we too need to understand that we're called to forgive. In Matthew 18, we read of a conversation that Jesus had with Peter. I'm going to read what it says from verse 21. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. I find that amazing. I can just imagine Peter coming up thinking, I've got a great question for Jesus, but I'm going to come with an answer as well. You know, seven's the Christian number, you know. Maybe if I say seven, he'll be like, oh, well done, Peter. The rock strikes again. Here we go. But actually, as sometimes was the case with Peter, sometimes Jesus' response was a little bit different to him. Seven times. What do you say, Jesus? Not seven times. 77 times. Now, and I don't think the reason why Jesus said that, he wasn't trying to say, you know, you should count 77 times. When someone wrongs you, just keep a tally, you know, you know, and, you know keep a book. Well, that's eight, nine, 
that to 77. And then when it gets to 78, you can just unleash the wrath on that person. I don't think that's what, I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to say. But what he's trying to say is this. We need to be a people that forgive all of the time. It's part of our working our journey as a Christian. We are people that have to forgive. It's something, it's a way of life for us. This is part of being in a community together. We forgive. You know, and I get it. At times, it's not nice. We hurt each other. But we have to make a choice, church. Seriously, I want to make this point. We have to forgive. We have to forgive one another. Bill Hybels in his book, Simplify, a great book, I'd recommend it to anyone. He talks about forgiveness and he says, there are three different categories of ways that we can be offended or feel offended. Category one, two, and three. He calls category one are what we call minor offenses. Now, category two and three are the ones that are a little bit more serious. And I'm not going to unpack that fully today, but just to say they're ones that can need a bit more of a process. But we still have to forgive, even in category two or three. But I'm just going to talk a little bit about minor offences because in this book he says that the most common offences are the minor ones. They happen all the time. People annoy us with little things. They have habits that we don't like. But the reality is, no real harm was done. And we just have got to learn to let it go. Got to say, you know, it's okay. I'm going to let that go. No harm was done. You know, even recently this happened to me. The other day I went to Asda and... I just couldn't find the orange juice. You know how it is. I was going around with my trolley. I was like, oh, I can't find it. I must have just kept missing it. And I saw an employee there. Well, I, I assume he was an employee. He was dressed in an Asda uniform. And I thought, well, I'm going to ask him. He's going to show me exactly where I need to go. And I thought, okay, yeah, I'll go to him. He's there stacking shelves, you know. And there I am with my trolley. And I was very polite, you know. I said, I said excuse me, my friend. Uh, I can't find the orange juice. It's in the fridge. <laughs> and I'm like, the fridge? <laughs> yeah, it's in the fridge. <laughs> it's not here. So I'm like, okay, okay, so my friend, where is the fridge? over there <laughs> and at that moment I'm thinking oh my I just walk off I'm like I can't be doing with this I'm getting angry as he keeps talking it, you know the, the few words he just says just keeps getting me angry and angry <laughs> and I'm like I'm like oh my goodness how rude you know he didn't even look at me and when he did look at me he looked at me as if I was from Mars <laughs> I was like who, who does he think he is I was like you know what I was like he's not going to get away with that I'm, I'm going to do something about this I'm going to do something. You know what? I, I'm going to, I'm going to, it was quite big, so I wasn't going to hit him. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not too big, you know, as you can see. I was like, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to speak to his manager. I'm going to find out, what, you know, um, who his manager is and say, look, who, what kind of stuff are you employing here? And as I was getting taken away with my anger, with my own self of just being, having this rage within me, I was just like, God, God, you know, sorry, the Holy Spirit just came to me and said, John, John, calm down. It's a category one. It's a minor offense. Let it go. And you know, you try and wrestle with Holy Spirit. There's no point in wrestling with Holy Spirit because Holy Spirit always wins, yeah? There's just no point to Just to give you a word of knowledge there. It might not be a word of knowledge. But, you know, and I said, yeah, but he was so rude. Yeah. John, 
it's over a bottle of orange juice. Let it go. And you know, as I started to think about it, I realized, you know what? Actually, it is minor. (laughs) Maybe he was having a bad day. I have bad days sometimes. I have times where I don't feel great. I've lashed out sometimes. I've been rude. I sometimes am not always polite. You know, I'm not perfect. Maybe the same thing was happening with him. Now, I started to look at it a bit from his point of view. Maybe things weren't going well at home, etc. You know, it's hard to hate someone whose pain you understand sometimes. Actually, sometimes we've just got to look and say, it's okay, no real harm was done. And my point is this, church, you know, in the context, especially as how we relate to each other in community, we have to be those that forgive. You know, minor offenses, we shouldn't make huge issues out of minor things. We need to learn to just let it go. You know, we won't always see eye to eye. We won't always get on. You know, we're going to receive those difficult emails. We're going to receive a text message where we think, why did they say it like that? Why, we, why did they use that tone? Oh, how rude. But actually, we've got to ask ourselves, is my reaction disproportionate to what has actually happened? Am I making this bigger than it actually is? You see, I think if we choose forgiveness daily, we can live in a community which is sweet and gracious. This is what will set us apart as his disciples. When we love one another and loving each other when it's difficult is where we express that to other people as well. People will see that we are a different community because we are forgiving. You know, I haven't talked about category two and three, but just to say category two and three offenses, you know, they can be more serious. They can involve more of a process. But church, hear me when I say this. You've got to forgive. We still come to that place and go, I'm still going to forgive. You know, Jesus has forgiven us. We've got to remember, as we talk about the cross and we focus on it, the cross changes everything. You know, going back to Acts 2.42, it talks about the early church was devoted to fellowship. And a devotion means making a commitment to each other. And that probably meant that there were times when they had disagreements. To be devoted means that you don't just give up. But actually, they probably had to just keep going with each other, showing grace, not giving up quickly. We acknowledge that even though we've been redeemed, there's still a fallenness still trying to get out. There's still a fallen man or person still trying to be hostile, still trying to do things. But if we understand that about each other, we can bear with each other and we can forgive. And we must forgive, church. We're called to forgive. It's hard to do. I'm not diminishing diminishing the price of forgiveness. It isn't easy to do because what you're essentially saying is, I relinquish my right to get even with that person. That's what you're doing. And that, that can feel like a sacrifice. But we need to get a perspective, church. Church, listen, redemption involved paying an unpayable debt. We owed a debt to God that was unpayable. But God, in his grace, says this. He says, you owe, but I'll pay. You owe, but I'll pay. When Jesus went to the cross, and we've been singing about it today, and we can sing it, but this is outworking it. This is how we do it. Understanding, you owe, I'll pay. You see, Bill Heibel says, when we fully comprehend the radical forgiveness God extended to us while we were yet sinners, that's a heart changer. It is much easier to extend forgiveness to others when we are fully aware of how much God has forgiven us. And actually, when we view forgiveness in that light, when we realize what God gave for us, what he did for us, those little category one offenses, the minor minor offenses, start to become a little bit embarrassing, actually. Because even if it's category one, two, or three, God has forgiven us category five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. God has forgiven us so much. And we have to remember that. 
and we have to forgive. And I'm going to ask you just today, do you need to choose to forgive today? Is there something that maybe you've been holding on to? Is there a grievance that you've just said, no, me and my grudge, we're okay, I'm just going to keep holding this. But actually, I want to say to you today, choose forgiveness, church. We have to forgive. It is the only way that we can operate in community together and also the way that we are free. This is how we respond in a Christ-centered community. Secondly, we are a community that is generous. Again, if we revert back to the early church, we see that the first community of believers was a church that cared for each other as well. Acts 2 verses 45 says, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now going back to our Greek word koinonia, this word has a number of different meanings, but it can also mean to have common ownership or to have partnership, to be in partnership together. See, this church was generous. They shared wherever there was a need. Wherever people were having hardship or difficult times, what we can see from this is that they met the need. They didn't just stand by, but they helped one another. They shared. See, we should be a community that that demonstrates a generous spirit towards each other. This community of believers took love to a new level. 1 John 3, 3 verse 17 says this, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Now you see, this is love in action within the church, where we take responsibility and make a choice to say, you know what, I'm not going to just stand by and watch my brother and sister suffer, but actually I'm going to try and meet a need where I can. I don't think it necessarily means you have to sell all your possessions and like make yourself bankrupt. I don't think that's the point. But actually, where we can meet a need, let's respond. You know, a simple gesture could be so huge to somebody in the body of Christ. I get so inspired of some of the stories of generosity that I hear within the life of this church. It's amazing just some of the stories that we hear in, in life groups, for example. I heard of a couple who had, you know, had a about a year ago, just had their first baby. And in their life group, the life group decided to just rally around them. You know, this is community in action. They were just said, look, you've got baby, that's, that's coming. It's a big change for you. You know, don't worry about your food. We'll do a food rotor so that we can cook for you. And literally every member of the life group like, made a commitment that they would bring food to the, in, in the evening to the couple just to help them in that season. Isn't that amazing, church? That we just respond in simple ways. I also heard of a life group that, Um, responded to someone in their group who was going through a bit of a difficult season with finance. So they came together and just shared what they had. It wasn't extravagant, but they shared what they had to help this person in need. This is the church loving in action. This is how we do it. This is doing life together. And when we come with a generous disposition, when it works, church, it's absolutely beautiful. Again, this is how you will know that that you are my disciples. This is how the world will know that we are Jesus' disciples by the way we love one another. Thirdly, we are a community that offers acceptance. In a church community, we will come across many walks of life. You know, the people we encounter all have a story. People come with brokenness and pain and a number of issues. And the way that we treat people, it lets them know what we think about them. You see, We have the ability to speak words to each other that have the ability to give people a little bit of life, but we also have the ability to speak words that can destroy someone just a little bit more. We actually have the opportunity to do either of those, but we can offer acceptance, love, and hope if we choose to. 
In Romans 15 verse 7, Paul said, accept one another then as Christ accepted you. See, to, to accept someone is to say, there's a very good reason why you are alive. Yeah, we are, there's a very good reason as to why you exist. And I want to encourage you and I want to love you in that. When we accept people, we're saying that we're for them, that we believe in them. At the beginning of chapter 8 in the Gospel of John, we come across quite a hard-hitting story. And the Pharisees and the teacher of the law, they come and they bring this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery to Jesus. And they say, look, this woman's been caught in adultery. The law says we should stone her. What do you say? Now, their intention is simply just to accuse Jesus, try and trap him, but also to condemn this woman just to show this woman, say, look, she should be stoned. What do you say? They're just, their attitude is literally, we want to condemn and judge people. If they've not hit the standard or hit the mark, then, then they need to be punished. Something needs to be done about it. This judging mentality, this judgmentalism is what they were all about at this moment. They were throwing stones. They couldn't wait to throw stones. You know, at times, rather than accepting people and having grace, we also have the ability to condemn and accuse and judge. We look at the way people have done things and we, we can form an opinion of them. We can sometimes throw stones. Even in churches this can happen. We can look at how people present themselves and say, oh, look, look, look at how they do that there. Oh, look at the way they bring up their children. Oh, look, look at him, he's on alcohol. Oh, look at him, he's done that. Oh, look at their issues in their marriage. Oh, that's bad, isn't it? See, words can hurt. No, gossip is a way that we can throw stones. It has the ability to damage community. It breaks confidence. The spreading of malicious rumours. And you know, it's not nice to admit it, but we've all done it sometimes. We've all gossiped. I mean, even I've done it sometimes, and I've got involved, and I'm not proud of that, but the reality is I have, because it's so easy to get involved in. You know, has anyone ever come up to you and said, I really want to tell you something, but I don't know if I should. You know, and and we really should say, well, okay, don't tell me then, it's fine. But now we go, well, go on. (laughs) Go on. What's the goss? Come on, tell me, tell me. Who, how, when, with who, when? Give me details. If you tell me yours, I'll tell you mine. You know, we, we, we get taken away with this attitude of gossiping. You know, we've all got involved in it in some way. You know, I just want to say this. If someone says the words to you, I don't know if I should tell you something, say, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Seriously, church, if someone says, I don't know if I should tell you something, don't tell me. Stop it there. Put a stop to it. You see, the breaching of confidence can be so damaging. Now, it's a privilege when someone opens up and shares with you. If they say to you, I want to share this with you because I feel I can trust you. If you break that trust, that is so destructive. But church, let's not gossip about people. Let's say, you know what? Your information is safe in my mouth. It's not going to go anywhere else. Church, we need to be serious about this. You know, the world loves to gossip. But we're not of the world. You know, social media, we have to be careful. You know, people on social media, they, they, they use it as a way of calling people out or tagging people and saying things about them. It's ugly. It's stinky behavior. I want to say, church, we've got to be better than that. We've got to love people, respect them, especially within the body of Christ as well. There should be no room for this in a Christ-centered community. 
And as I said earlier, we have the ability to speak words that give a little bit more life, but we also have the ability to speak words that can destroy people a little bit more. Going back to our story of this woman who was being brought to Jesus, you know, how does Jesus respond? You know, that's the big question. What is he going to say to these Pharisees? And he says this, the genius of Jesus, anyone without sin, be the first to throw a stone. And we see the Pharisees one by one, they just leave, start dropping their stones, I can assume. And they start walking away. Wow, what just happened there? One minute they were, they were out, they could smell blood. They wanted to stone this woman. They wanted to condemn her. They wanted to call her out for what she was. And now they've walked away because of this sentence from Jesus. You know, what changed? Well, I just think Jesus, he has an amazing way of reminding us that we're not all that different from that woman. We're not all that different. Yeah, she did something really bad, and I understand that it was probably a hard thing to, have, to, you know, to, to get your head around. There's a lot of repercussions with that. But actually, before we start throwing stones and judging others, let's remember that none of us are perfect. We all have a story. We are all broken beings in recovery through Christ. Amen? We're on a journey of becoming more like him. We all need redemption. We have all sinned and fallen short, but we still long to be accepted as we are, don't we? We want that acceptance. You know, John Ortberg in his book, Everyone, everybody's normal till you get to know them. He talks about all of us having an as-is tag. And you might be thinking, what's an as-is tag? Well, an as-is tag is basically this. It means, you know, you buy something, what you see is what you get. I give you no guarantees in relation to the quality of the product. This is how you have it. You purchase it as it is. This is yours. If there's any faults with it, not my problem. You deal with it. We're just selling you as it is. You know, whether it's immediately visible, what's wrong with it or not, it doesn't matter. You know, there are no guarantees the buyer is basically saying, whatever condition it presently exists, the buyer is accepting the item with all faults. And you know, church, all the time we come up against, we come and we interact with damaged goods. You know, damaged, broken people in this world. I, I was a damaged good when I gave my life to Jesus. I didn't have it all together. I was broken. I was hurt. I hurt other people. I you know, hurt people by saying things I shouldn't have said. I was down, I was depressed. I was a bit of a mess, to be honest with you. But church, the good news is this. When Jesus died on that cross and redeemed me, he said, John, I agree to accept you just as you are. Now, he accepts me just as I am. Now, I'm still on a journey of working through that brokenness. I'm not completely there, you know. I, I keep going on this journey of wanting to be more like him, but I'm further along where I was before because of him, because of his acceptance. Acceptance is powerful. It can change our lives. And our response should be to accept each other. Don't just say, you know, let's wait till you clean yourself up, then I'll be your friend. That doesn't do anyone any help. No, as you are, it's just fine. As you are is just fine. Like Martin said last week, we can take off the masks. We can be open, say, this is the real me. And when we learn more about each other, we don't run away. We go, okay, well, thank you that you would be open with me. No judgments, but we accept each other with all of our faults because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, amen? amen. 
And I also just want to clarify this about acceptance doesn't mean that we excuse bad behavior. You know, if you accept someone, it doesn't mean that they can then go around going hurting people and go, well, this is as I am, this is me. You know, no, it doesn't work that way. See, part of acceptance is also transformation. Jesus didn't condemn this woman that we've been talking about, but he did say to her, now go and leave your life of sin. Now go leave your life of sin. He accepts her, but it's this idea of come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Yeah, I accept you as you are, but don't stay as you are. You know, live a new life in Christ. Our responsibility is to accept each other. But at the same time, we acknowledge that we have a personal responsibility to live a new life in him. We deal with our issues. This is how community can flourish when we encourage one another in this. You know, maybe this has struck home with you and you just want to ask yourself, you know, have I chose to, to judge at times? Am I going to change some of those things today and, and say, actually, my mindset has been all wrong? And maybe you've got involved in gossiping and maybe you want to repent of that or just want to say, you know what, God, I've seen this in myself, but I don't want this anymore. I'm going to respond to this. I want to be someone who accepts people exactly as they are and be on a journey and be willing to, to, to help be part of that transformation with them. I'm no longer going to measure people based on what they have done but I'm going to love people and I'm going to show grace. And finally, my last point, we are a community that is inclusive. And when we look at the early church in Acts 2, verses 46 to 47, it says that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily. So this was a church where people were finding Christ. There were new believers coming in, but also they were welcoming them in. They were saying, come, you are welcome in this church. It wasn't a church that just stayed as it is. It wasn't an exclusive group. It was inclusive. It reached out to all those around. It says, come, be part of the family. People were made to feel at home. See, to love one another means that we love with an outward focus. We see other people. It's not just me and my little group, me and my little clique, but actually I see other people. And I want to love them. Those that come into the church, I want to I reach out a hand and say, come. Come join our fellowship. Come be part of what we're doing here. This is how church community grows. This is how the gospel spreads. You know, they were, the early church, I can see, they were a missional church. They were an evangelist church, yes, but they welcomed people as well. They added people. They started off from a group of 120 in that, in that little room at the beginning of Acts. And then by the end of Acts 2, there's over 3,000. How does that happen? Yes, they got to know Jesus. Yes, they had a revelation of who Christ was. But the church themselves had a revelation of what love was as well. And that was to be inclusive and to include them in the church. And church, we need to be the same. Isn't it amazing to think that you can be a Christian, but feel like that you're not part of the church? See, trying to get in on the inner circle and removing social barriers can be frustrating. We like to be included, don't we? I, I like to be included. You know, when I, when I go on an aeroplane on a long journey, like on holiday, normally if it's a long journey, I'm okay because for the first hour, I'm just so excited I'm going abroad. You know, I love going on holiday. But then after about an hour or so, when I'm sitting in my seat, like, my legs start to hurt. You know how it is. And you, know, and, you, and you try and sleep with your head against that. You know, it just doesn't work, does it? No matter how much you try, you go, yeah, it's like that. You know, it just doesn't work. And I'm like, I need more room. Oh, I'm just, I'm, I just need more room. I wish I could have more room. And then you look down the middle of the aisle and there's a curtain. 
And that curtain is what separates you. And I'm like, oh, I can just go there. But no, I can't just go there because it's for business class. You know, if I tried to get in there, the staff would say, excuse me, sir, you're economy class. Get back to your seat. It's frustrating. It's annoying because I want more room. I want to walk around. I want to sleep. I want, I want nice lounges. You know, I want champagne even though I don't drink, you know. Just the fact that I've been offered it is good enough, you know. <laughs> And it's like that curtain separates the Gentile courts from the most holiest of holies. It's like it's a separation. You can't come in. We want to be included, don't we? Whether it be being invited to a wedding or a birthday party. You know, even on Facebook when someone says, you've been invited to an event. Like, ooh, what event? Who have been invited to? You know, we like to have those invites because we like to know that people have thought about us. God's heart, church is to include us. Ephesians 2 tells us that now in Christ Jesus, those who are far away have been brought near. We've been brought close. There is now no Jew or Gentile. The dividing walls of hostility have been broken down so that we now can come freely into his presence, but also we are now one people. God shows no favoritism or discrimination. His love for his people is for all people. His Holy Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. God invites us all to the party. Paul reminded the Galatians in Galatians 5, verses 19 to 20. He said to them to be aware of creating exclusive groups. I'm I'm paraphrasing this a little bit, but he says, the acts of the flesh are a number of things. And he says, one of them, one of the acts of the flesh, I found that amazing, is factions. Now, factions can mean cliques or closed groups where no one can get in. We've got to make space and room for people to say, you can have access. Jesus was a bridge for those that wanted access. The cross is a bridge for those that want access. And we too need to be of the same mindset, church. In the Gospels, Jesus, he reached out to those on the margins of society. He brought them into the center. He disregarded social boundaries. He didn't put them up. He, He knocked them down. He ate with sinners. He included foreigners. He healed lepers. And he had compassion on the poor. And therefore, church, we should be stirred. We are a multicultural church. We should be stirred to say that we're a church that has no social or racial boundaries at all. But actually, we say, you are all welcome. You're all free to enter in and be part of what we have here. You know, it's the little things that can have the most impact. You know, if you're at church and you're going out for food and, you know, with your little group of friends, that's great, you know, I'm not not saying that's wrong. But why not ask those who don't normally get asked? Come along with us. Come be part of our group. And if you see someone sitting on their own in church, don't be afraid to go, hi, can I sit next to you? Get to know new people. Get to meet new people who you've never seen before. Let's be intentional about seeing those people on the fringes. You know, we were all new at church once. When I first came to this church four years ago, I I was an outsider. I was an outsider. I I had just given my life to Jesus and I wasn't sure how people would respond to me, you know? I thought they might think, oh, who's this dodgy character, you know? (laughs) I can, I do look a bit dodgy sometimes, but you know, not all the time. But it was great because they just loved me. They included me. I got invited to things. People in this church, they just made me feel like I was part of the family. You know, and you know, when you include people as well, I just want to say this, you... You have the ability to release greatness in them. 
You don't realize it. I mean, I'm not trying to make a big deal of my own story, but who'd have known when I walked through those doors I'd be working here full-time in four years? You don't know what that interaction's going to do. When I come back to think what, what God has done in my life here, I always remember those first people that included me. All the greats, like Billy Graham, Joyce Meyer, someone had to welcome them into the church for them to be great. You can release the greatness in people when you include people. This is loving one another. And we have a responsibility to reach out and say, come join, come be part of the family. They were added to the church. They, they were said like, they were added. It was like, no, no, no. There wasn't any discrimination. There wasn't any boundaries. Like, come, come, add, be added to this church. That's how it grew. We see through the New Testament how this continues. When you read on in Acts 4 and Acts 5, the, the same thing happens. The church grows and they continue to share together. They continue to have fellowship. The, the model's the same, but it just gets bigger because they were an inclusive church. Can I invite the band up, please? I've touched upon a lot of things today and there could be many ways that people might want to respond. I've talked about forgiveness. I've talked a little bit about acceptance and generosity and, and inclusivity and all these are really important and there could be a number of ways that we could respond but we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to respond through taking communion together. We're going to break bread together and drink of the cup. You know, in Acts 2 verse 46, we're told that they broke bread in their homes as a family. And we're going to come, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to remember what Christ has done for us. We're going to remember that we've been redeemed in him, yes. But also we've been redeemed collectively to come together as family. And as a response today, I want to encourage you, you know, maybe do something a bit different. And when you come to the table and you, you take a piece of bread, take a piece of bread if you feel you want to. And maybe you want to go to someone in their seat. Maybe you need to reconcile with someone. Maybe you need to, you know, deal with unforgiveness. If that's you today and you need to do that with someone, go ahead and do it. We're going to use the table as we normally would for communion as well, but just to say, I want to encourage you to respond to what's been said today. If it's on your heart, then respond. Come to the table, take a piece of bread and go find someone if that's what you need to do. It might be that today you just simply want to take a piece of bread and you want to just acknowledge someone, maybe in this room, who has accepted you, who has accepted you for who you are. And you want to say, you know what, I want to thank you because you accepted me as I was. You continued to be there for me. You continued to, to, to not shirk away when you, when you heard more things about me, but instead you embraced me and loved me more. Take a piece of bread and go over to them and break bread with them. And also, I encourage everyone to try and engage with this if we can. It could be a bit, go a bit chaotic, but it's fine. Holy chaos is great. You might want to go and take a piece of bread to someone who maybe you don't know, someone who you've never spoken to and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break bread with you. I don't know who you are. Don't worry about social boundaries. Don't worry about awkwardness. Just go and say, I want to break bread with you as a brother or a sister in Christ. I want to I extend my hand of fellowship to you. I just want to encourage us to do that today. And additionally, just to say, if you're here and you wouldn't consider yourself to be a follower of Christ, then that's absolutely fine. Then just stay in your seat. Maybe take this as an opportunity to reflect on where you are with God. There's no pressure on you at all. So I'm going to pray first and then we'll open up the tables and the band will lead us in a couple of songs. Just to say there's two tables at the front and two at the back, but I'm going to pray before we open up the tables. Jesus, I, we come today, Lord, as church family. 
And we thank you, God, that your redemption is for every single one of us here, Lord. Those who would want to receive forgiveness of sins, Lord. Thank you, God, that the cross changes everything. It transforms lives, God. And today, Lord, as we come to your table, I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just come to a table and take off some bread and take off a cup and then walk away. But Lord, that we would make this significant today. Lord, where, work, where a work needs to be done in our lives, God, where we need to forgive, God, give us the courage today to, to open up our hearts to forgive. Let us see from your perspective. God, where we need to take a bread and a piece of bread and reconcile with our brother. Lord, let, may we do that today. May we not hold back, Lord, from your command. And God, where we need to or where we want to express our thanks to someone, Lord, I pray, Lord, would you continue to bless our strong, God-given relationships in this church. Strengthen these relationships, Lord. We thank you for them, God. And Lord, I pray where we need to be inclusive in our lives, where we need to have an outward-looking focus to other people who are on the fringes, God. Lord, would you stir our hearts afresh today? Holy Spirit, would you be within us and help us see those that are on the edge to bring them in. So God, Lord, we we thank you for your death, your burial, your resurrection. And we come today, Lord, afresh to say, we worship you, we love you, and come and have your way afresh in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Come when you're ready.